0: Chapter twenty nine of Snarleyow by Frederick Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which Jemmy Ducks proves the truth of Moggy's assertion that there was no one like him before or since. Nancy and Jemmy serenade the stars. As soon as Moggy landed at the point with her dear darling duck of a husband, as she called him, she put his chest and hammock on a barrow and had them wheeled up to her own lodgings, and then they went out to call upon Nancy Corbett to make their future arrangements. Moggy proceeded in rapid strides, and Jemmy, trotting with his diminutive legs behind her, something like a stout pony by the side of a large horse, it was in pedestrianism that Jemmy most felt his inferiority, and the protecting, fond way in which Moggy would turn round every minute and say, Come along, my duck, would have been irritating to any other but one of Jemmy's excellent temper. Many looked at Jemmy as he waddled along, smiled, and passed on. One unfortunate nymph, however, ventured to stop and putting her arms akimbo looked down upon him and exclaimed well you are a nice little man and then commenced singing the old refrain i had a husband no bigger than my thumb i put him in a pint pot and there i bit him drum when moggy who had turned back saluted her with such a box on the ear that she made the drum of it ring again the young lady was not one of those who would offer the other cheek to be smitten, and she immediately flew at Moggy and returned the blow, but Jimmy, who liked quiet, caught her round the legs, and, as if she had been a feather, threw her over his head, so that she fell down in the gutter behind him with a violence which was anything but agreeable. She gained her legs again, looked at her soiled garments, scraped the mud off her cheek, we are sorry to add, made use of some very improper language, and finding herself in the minority, walked off, turning round and shaking her fist at every twenty paces. Moggy and her husband continued their course as if nothing had happened, and arrived at the house of Nancy Corbett, who had, as may be supposed, changed her lodgings and kept out of sight of Vanslyperken nancy was no stranger to jemmy ducks so far as his person went he was too remarkable a character not to be known by her who knew almost everybody and moreover she had made sufficient inquiries about his character the trio at once proceeded to business jemmy had promised his wife to join the smugglers and it was now arranged that both he and his wife should be regularly enlisted in the gang she to remain at the cave with the women, unless her services were required elsewhere, he to belong to the boat. There was, however, one necessary preliminary still to be taken, that of Jemmy and his wife both taking the oath of fidelity at the house of the Jew Lazarus. But it was not advisable to go there before dusk, so they remained with Nancy till that time, during which she was fully satisfied that, in both parties the band would have an acquisition, for Nancy was very keen and penetrating, and had a great insight into human nature. At dusk to the house of Lazarus they accordingly repaired, and were admitted by the cautious Jew. Nancy stated why they had come, and there being at the time several of the Confederates, as usual, in the house, they were summoned by the Jew to be witnesses to the oath being administered. Half a dozen dark-looking, bold men soon made their appearance, and recognized Nancy by nods of their head. "'Who have we here, old Father Abraham?' exclaimed a stout man, who was dressed in a buff jerkin and a pair of boots which rose above his knees. "'A good man and true,' replied Nancy, taking up the answer why you don't call that thing a man exclaimed the fierce-looking confederate with contempt as good a man as ever stood in your boots replied moggy in wrath indeed well perhaps so if he could only see his way when once into them replied the man with a loud laugh in which he was joined by his companions what can you do my little man said another of a slighter build than the first coming forward and putting his hand upon Jemmy's head. Now, Jemmy was the best-tempered fellow in the world, but at the same time the very best-tempered people have limits to their forbearance, and do not like to be taken liberties with by strangers. So felt Jemmy, who, seizing the young man firmly by the waistband of his trousers just below the hips, lifted him from the ground, and with a strength which astonished all present, threw him clean over the table his body sweeping away both the candles and so they were all left in darkness i can douse a glim anyhow cried jemmy that's my darling duck, cried moggy delighted with this proof of her husband's vigour some confusion was created by this manoeuvre on the part of jemmy but candles were reproduced and the first man who spoke feeling as if this victory on the part of Jemmy was a rebuke to himself, again commenced his interrogations. "'Well, my little man, you are strong in the arms, but what will you do without legs?' "'Not run away, as you have done a hundred times,' replied Jemmy scornfully. "'Now by the wrath of God you shall answer for this,' replied the man, catching hold of Jemmy by the collar." but in a moment he was tripped up by jemmy and fell down with great violence on his back bravo bravo exclaimed the rest who took part with jemmy that's my own little duck cried moggy you've shown him what you can do anyhow the man rose and was apparently feeling for some arms secreted about his person when nancy corbett stepped forward do you dare cried she take what you have received and be thankful or and nancy held up her little forefinger the man slunk back among the others in silence the old jew who had not interfered being in the presence of nancy who had superior commands now read the oath which was of a nature not to be communicated to the reader without creating disgust it was, however, such an oath as was taken in those times, and has since been frequently taken in Ireland. It was subscribed to by Jemmy and his wife without hesitation, and they were immediately enrolled among the members of the association. As soon as this ceremony had been gone through, Nancy and her protégés quitted the house and returned to her lodgings when it was agreed that the next night they should go over to the island, as Jemmy's services were required in the boat in lieu of Ramsay, whose place as steersman he was admirably qualified to occupy. Much better, indeed, than that of a rower, as his legs were too short to reach the stretcher where it was usually fixed. The next evening the weather was calm and clear, and when they embarked in the boat of the old fisherman, with but a small portion of their effects, the surface of the water was unruffled, and the stars twinkled brightly in the heavens. One article which Jemmy never parted with was in his hand, his fiddle. They all took their seats, and the old fisherman shoved off his boat, and they were soon swept out of the harbour by the strong ebb-tide. "'Ain't this better than being on board with Vanslyperken, and your leave stopped?' observed Moggy yes replied the husband and i not permitted to go on board to see my duck of a husband confound his snivelling carcass continued moggy yes replied jemmy thoughtfully and in company with that supernatural cur of his jemmy nodded his head and then in his abstraction touched the strings of his violin they say you are clever with your instrument, Mr. Salisbury, observed Nancy Corbett. That he is, replied Moggy, and he sings like a darling duck, don't you, Jemmy, my dear? Quack, quack, replied Jemmy. Well, Mr. Salisbury, there's no boat that I can see near us, or even in sight, and if there was it were little matter. I suppose you will let me hear you? for i shall have little opportunity after this with all my heart replied jemmy who taking up his fiddle and playing upon the strings like a guitar after a little reflection sang as follows bless my eyes how young bill threw his shiners away as he drank and he danced when he first came on shore it was clear that he fancied that with his year's pay like the bank of old England, he'd never be poor. So when the next day, with a southerly wind in, His pockets he came up, my rhino to borrow, You're welcome, says I, Bill, as I forked out the tin, But when larking today, don't forget there's tomorrow. When our frigate came to from a cruise in the west, and her yards were all squared her sails neatly furled young tom clasped his nancy so loved to his breast as if but themselves there were none in the world between two of the guns they were fondly at play all billing and kissing forgetting all sorrow love like hash says i men may all go in a day while you hug him so close don't forget there's to morrow when a hurricane swept us smack smooth fore and aft when we dashed on the rock and we floundered on shore as we sighed for the loss of our beautiful craft convinced that the like we should never see more says i my good fellows as we huddled together they shivered and shook each fizz black with sorrow remember it's not to be always foul weather so with ill luck to-day don't forget there's to-morrow and not a bad hint neither mr salisbury said nancy when jemmy ceased you sailors never think of to-morrow more's the pity you're no better than overgrown babies I'm not much better at all events, replied Jemmy, laughing. However, I'm as God made me, so all's right. That's my own darling, Jemmy, said Moggy. And if you're content and I'm content, who is to say a word I should like to know? You may be a rum one to look at, but I think them fellows found you but a rum customer the other night. Don't put so much wrong in your discourse, Moggy. You make me long for a glass of grog. Then your mouth will find the water, rejoined Nancy. But, however, singing is dry work, and I am provided. Pass my basket aft, old gentleman, and we will find Mr. Salisbury something with which to wet his whistle. The boatman handed the basket to Nancy, who pulled out a bottle and glass, which she filled, and handed to Jemmy. "'Now, Mr. Salisbury, I expect some more songs,' said Nancy. "'And you shall have them, mistress. But I've heard say that you've a good pipe of your own. Suppose that you give me one in return. That will be but fair play.' "'Not exactly, for you'll have the grog in the bargain,' replied Nancy. "'Put my fiddle against the grog, and then all square.' I have not sung for many a day, replied Nancy, musing and looking up at the bright twinkling stars. I once sang when I was young and happy. I then sang all the day long. That was really singing, for it came from the merriness of my heart. And Nancy paused. Yes, I have sung since, and often, for they made me sing. But t'was when my heart was heavy or when its load has been, for a time, forgotten, and drown in wine. That was not singing, at least not the singing of bygone days. But those times are bygone too, Mistress Nancy, said Moggy. You have now your marriage lines, and are made an honest woman. Yes, and God keep me so, Amen, replied Nancy mournfully. Had not the night concealed it, a tear might have been seen by the others in the boat to trickle down the cheek of Nancy Corbett as she was reminded of her former life, and as she again fixed her eyes upon the brilliant heavens, each particular star appeared to twinkle brighter, as if they rejoiced to witness tears like those. You must be light of heart now, Mistress Nancy, observed Jemmy soothingly. I am not unhappy, replied she resting her cheek upon her hand. "'Mistress Nancy,' said Moggy, "'I should think a little of that stuff would do neither of us any harm. The night is rather bleak.' Moggy poured out a glass and handed it to Nancy. She drank it, and it saved her from a flood of tears which otherwise she would have been unable to repress. In a minute or two, during which Moggy helped herself and the old boatman, Nancy's spirits returned. Do you know this air? said Nancy to Jemmy, humming it. Yes, I know it well, Mistress Nancy. Will you sing to it? Nancy Corbett, who had been celebrated once for her sweet singing, as well as her beauty, immediately commenced in a soft and melodious tone, while Jemmy touched his fiddle. Lost strollin' or strayed the heart of a young maid who shall ever the same shall find and prove so very kind to yield it on desire they shall rewarded be and that most handsomely with kisses one two three cupid is the crier ring-a-ding-ding cupid is the crier Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, here is a pretty mess. A maiden's heart is gone, and she is left forlorn, and panting with desire. Whoever shall bring it me, they shall reward it be with kisses one, two, three. Cupid is the crier, bring a ding ding. Cupid is the crier. Was lost on Sunday eve, or taken without leave. A virgin's heart so pure, she can't the loss endure, and surely will expire. Pity her misery, rewarded you shall be with kisses one, two, three. Cupid is the crier, ring a ding ding. Cupid is the crier the maiden saw it around it was not to be found she searched each nook and dell the haunts she loved so well all anxious with desire the wind blew ope his vest when lo the toy in quest she found within the breast of cupid the false crier ring-a-ding-ding cupid the false crier many thanks mistress corbett for a good song sung a good tune with a sweet voice said jemmy i owe you one for that and am ready to pay you on demand you've a pipe like a thrush." well i do believe that i shall begin to sing again replied nancy i'm sure if corbett was only once settled on shore in a nice little cottage with a garden and a blackbird in a wicker cage I should try who could sing most, the bird or me. He will be by and by when his work is done. Yes, when it is, but open boats, stormy seas, and the halter are heavy odds, Mr. Salisbury. Don't mention the halter, Mistress Nancy. You'll make me melancholy, replied Jemmy, and I shan't be able to sing any more. Well, if they want to hang me, they need not rig the yard-arm three hand-spikes as shears and i shouldn't find soundings eh moggy nancy laughed at the ludicrous idea but moggy exclaimed with vehemence hang hey, my jemmy my darling duck i should like to see them at all events we'll have another song from him moggy before they spoil his windpipe which i must say would be a great pity but moggy there have been better men hung than your husband better men than my jemmy mrs corbett there never was one like him afore or since replied moggy with indignation i only meant of longer pedigree Maggie, replied nancy soothingly i don't know what that is replied moggy still angry longer legs to be sure replied jemmy never mind that moggy here goes a song in two parts it's a pity, Mistress Nancy, that you couldn't take one. When will you give up this life of wild roving? When shall we be quiet and happy on shore? When will you to church lead your Susan so loving, And sail on the treacherous billows no more? My ship is my wife, Sue, no other I covet, till i draw the firm splice that's betwixt her and me i'll roam on the ocean for much do i love it to wed with another or rank bigamy oh william what nonsense you talk you are raving pray how can a ship and a man become one you say so because you no longer are craving as once you were truly and i am undone you wrong me my dearest as sure as i stand here as sure as i'll sail again on the wide sea some day i will settle and marry with you dear but now twould be nothing but rank bigamy then tell me the time dear william whatever your sue may expect this divorce to be made when you'll surely be mine when no object shall sever but locked in your arms i'm no longer afraid the time it will be when my pockets are lined i'll then draw the splice tween my vassal and me and lead you to church if you're still so inclined but before my dear Sue twere rank big-a-me. Thank you, Mr. Salisbury. I like the moral of that song. A sailor should never marry till he can settle on shore. What's the meaning of big-a-me? said Moggy. Marrying two husbands or two wives, Mrs. Salisbury. Perhaps you might get off on the plea that you had only one and a half, "'continued Nancy, laughing. "'Well, perhaps she might,' replied Jemmy, "'if he were a judge of understanding. "'I should think, Mistress Nancy, "'you might as well leave my husband's legs alone,' "'observed Moggy, affronted. "'Lord bless you, Mog. "'If he's not angry, you surely need not be. "'I give a joke, and I can take one. "'You surely are not jealous?' "'Indeed I am, though,' AND ALWAYS SHALL BE OF ANYONE WHO PLAYS WITH MY JIMMY. OR IF HE PLAYS WITH ANYTHING ELSE? YES, INDEED. YES, INDEED. THEN YOU MUST BE DOWNRIGHT JEALOUS OF HIS FIDDLE, MOGGIE, REPLIED NANCY. BUT NEVER MIND, YOU SHAN'T BE JEALOUS NOW ABOUT ANYTHING. I'LL SING YOU A SONG, AND THEN YOU'LL FORGET ALL THIS. NANCY Corbett THEN SANG AS FOLLOWS von mary sat on henry's knee i must be home exact said he and see the hour is come no henry you shall never go until me how to count you show that task must first be done then henry said as time is short addition you must first be taught sum up these kisses sweet now prove your sum by kissing me Yes, that is right, T'was three times three, Arithmetic's a treat. And now there's another term, Subtraction you have yet to learn, Take four away from these. Yes, that is right, You've made it out, Says Mary with a pretty pout, Subtraction, don't me please. Division's next upon the list, Young Henry taught while Mary kissed, and much admired the rule now henry don't you think me quick why yes indeed you've learned the trick at kissing you're no fool to multiply was next the game which henry by the method same to nancy fain would show but here his patience was worn out she multiplied too fast i doubt he could no farther go. And now we must leave off, my dear, the other rules are not so clear, we'll try at them to-night. I'll come at eve, my Henry sweet, behind the hawthorn hedge we'll meet, for learning's my delight. That's a very pretty song, Mistress Corbett, and you've a nice collection, I've no doubt if you've no objection i'll exchange another with you i should be most willing mr salisbury but we are now getting well over and we may as well be quiet as i do not wish people to ask where we are going you're right ma'am observed the old fisherman who pulled the boat put up your fiddle master there'll be plenty on the lookout without our giving them notice very true replied jimmy so we break up our concert. The whole party were now silent. In a quarter of an hour the boat was run into a cut which concealed it from view, and as soon as the fishermen had looked round to see the coast clear, they landed and made haste to pass by the cottages. After that, Nancy slackened her pace, and they walked during the night over to the other side of the island and arrived at the cottages above the cave. Here they left a portion of their burdens, and then proceeded to the path down the cliff which led to the cave. On Nancy giving the signal, the ladder was lowered, and they were admitted. As soon as they were upon the flat, Moggy embraced her husband, crying, "Here I have you, my own dear Jemmy, all to myself, and safe for ever." Chapter twenty nine. Recording by Arnold Banner. Thurmond, North Carolina.